0: Folks, let me say something to you. Preparation has always preceded significant events in our lives. We prepare for tests and exams. We prepare for degrees of several degrees. Those of you in this house who play piano could not have played piano or any instrument unless you had done what? Prepared to play. When you build a house, you don't begin work on construction on a whim, but with a set of drawn plans in front of you, and you have hired a licensed and capable builder. Well, folks, you and I are commanded by God to participate in the celebration of the Lord's table, the Lord's supper. But why is it? that oftentimes we do not follow the instruction of the Word of God to prepare ourselves for such a significant event in the life of the believer, especially the genuine child of God. So many times the Lord's Supper can be something we simply do As part of the worship, yes. Or even as an addendum, something added on or tacked on to the worship time. And i just got to be honest with you, folks. Over these last few months in my own personal ministry, God has been convicting me as pastor that I am required to lead you folks, me included, into a time of preparation as we experience this command. One of the two in the evangelical church. The ordinance. Ordinance means law or command. And we have two. One is the Lord's Supper, and the other one is baptism. Those are not suggestions in Scripture. And if the Lord saw fit to not put them in there as suggestions, but command us in His Word of God to do them, then we need to do more preparation than just two or three minutes before we are about to pass the cup and the bread in the church. And that's what I want to change, folks. We prepare for every other significant event in our lives. You and I must prepare more than we ever have for the observance of the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. So, folks, as we do that, there are three things I just want to tell you about it this morning. I want to show you how to do it so that when you leave here this morning, you have the tool in front of you in addition to the Word of God to where you can spend this week preparing for next Sunday because next Sunday's worship service will be somewhat different. The entire service will be the Lord's Supper. Now, I've done that like that in the past. But from now on out, when we are going to do the Lord's Supper and participate in that ordinance the next week, you're going to find the tool whereby to help you prepare the week following before you ever get in here and we come to the order of doing and the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. And here's the first thing I want to tell you about. In our priority of personal preparation of the Lord's Supper, the very first thing that we've got to go back and look at in Bible study and understand is simply this. Understand its origin. The Bible says, and I hope you have your Bibles, and I appreciate Matthew referring to the Scripture and having your Bible and reading it along with him. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. The Bible is very explicit when it says, For I received from the Lord, Paul said, that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. Now, folks, the original Lord's Supper, the Seder, was the Passover. The word Seder in the Hebrew is a word that means to arrange or order, to arrange it in specific items of where you can observe it. Hence, the Seder meal, the Jewish Passover. There were three main pilgrimage festivals of the Israelites that they were required to keep. The first was the Passover. The second is the Feast of Weeks. And the third one, all of these required pilgrimage to Jerusalem, the Feast of Tabernacles. You can read about these and the command in Exodus chapter 23, beginning in verse 14. Passover commemorated the final plague of Egypt when the firstborn of the Egyptians died and the Israelites were spared because of the blood they smeared on their doorsteps. Again, Exodus chapter 12, all throughout that. I'm going to refer this morning to a lot of Scripture for you. And I hope you'll go back this week and look through some of those Scriptures. The historicity, the reason why it is no longer the Seder meal, but it is the Lord's Supper. And I'll show you that in just a minute. Passover took place on the 14th day, that is in the evening of the first month, according to Leviticus chapter 23, verse 5. The animal was to be slain. The lamb selected on the tenth day of the month, according to Exodus chapter 12, and slaughtered on the fourteenth day of the month, according to Deuteronomy chapter 16. None of the animal was to be left over the following morning after Passover, according to Exodus chapter 34. And the uncircumcised and the hired servant were not permitted to eat the sacrifice in Exodus chapter 12. The Passover is also called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. You read again in Exodus chapter 23 and Deuteronomy chapter 16, because only unleavened bread was eaten during the seven days immediately following the Passover. Unleavened bread simply reflected the fact that the people had no time to put leaven in their bread before their hasty departure from Egypt. And so it's now the day of preparation of the Passover. It's our Thursday, the first day of unleavened bread. And actually, you and I, in this day and time, we've come to refer to that day, and we celebrated it this past Easter as Monday Thursday, the day that Jesus Christ initiated the Lord's Supper with His disciples. Jerusalem was crowded during that time, and it was filled with excitement. We know from the first century historian Josephus, that an estimated two to three million people flooded into the city of Jerusalem to observe the Passover. Can you imagine? The Passover was to begin at 6 p.m. on Thursday. Jewish law commanded that the Passover meal must be eaten sometime between the evening at 6 and midnight. And so our Lord sends out two of His disciples into the city in Jerusalem to seek out a man carrying a pitcher of water. And they were instructed by the Lord to follow that man wherever he went. He was going to his house. And when he had gone into his house, the men were to say to that man, where is the guest room where I may eat my Passover with my disciples? And the owner of the house was then instructed to direct them to the second story of the house, Some houses in Jerusalem, especially in upper Jerusalem, the wealthier to-do area, had upper rooms, large upper rooms on the top part of their house. The Torah, that is the Jewish law, the first five books of the Bible, required the Passover meal to be eaten within the city proper of Jerusalem. Now, can you imagine? Two million people in the city of Jerusalem. Now, to help you understand that and see that, that's like trying to pack two million people in an area about the size of twice the Marietta Square. Talking about termites. Talking about not being able to move. Talking about crowded areas. People in Israel usually ate two meals a day. The first meal was breakfast, somewhere around 10 or 11 a.m., and the second main meal was in the afternoon. The last supper was eaten in the evening, just like the Passover Scripture ordered. You can also read about that in our verses for today. And the law of the Passover in chapter Exodus chapter 12 commanded this, but during the meal of the Passover, the Seder... Jesus was the host. And y'all, despite the rigid format of the Jewish Seder meal, Jesus was about to change the the meaning of the Seder meal forever. And I want to show you why. You understand the origin of the Lord's Supper. And there is the origin of the Lord's Supper. But then the second thing I want you to do this morning is to remember its Purpose. Remember the purpose of the Lord's Supper. Actually, there are two. In our scripture this morning, in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, beginning in verse 24, listen to this. And when he had given thanks, Jesus says, he broke it and he said, take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There are two purposes. The first purpose is this. Number one, you remember Jesus what the Bible says. Remember who Jesus was. Remember what Jesus did. Remember his life for you and me. And the second purpose of the Lord's Supper is that you and I have the privilege in so doing of proclaiming his life, death and resurrection until he comes. Verse 26 of chapter 11. Very powerful, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Now, let me show you something very significant about all this. During the Seder meal, there are four cups. There is the cup of sanctification and the cup of deliverance. Well, actually, that's during the meal. After the meal, there is a third cup. It's called the cup of redemption. And then as they leave, they sing the Hallel. In in, in Hebrew, that's simply the Scripture, the praise songs. And the final cup that is passed to the members of the Seder till this day in the Jewish traditional Seder, the fourth cup is the cup of praise. Well, it's during this third cup, this cup of redemption, following the meal, that Jesus would forever change the Seder meal To become what we now call it, the Lord's Supper. No longer would it be a Seder to remember the release of Israel's bondage from Egypt. Now it would mean that what was being changed and released is our sin from the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And now the meaning of the Lord's Supper would be remembering the sacrificial death, what Jesus Christ did for you and me, in that He covered our sins from the top of our head to the bottom of the soles of our feet. No longer would we remember God's redemption to the children of Israel. We don't forget that. Don't misunderstand me. But the Lord changed the meaning. Now He was going to become the sacrificial lamb. Now He is the one, and that's why He said, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you will live your life every day in such a manner that you will proclaim His death to everyone until He comes. And yet the average Southern Baptist has never shared Jesus with one person. It takes 49 Southern Baptists to lead one person to Jesus. We have missed the mark on what the Bible has told you and me to do. Boy, I mean, that that gets all over my toes too, folks. Then they'd sing when they they leave, which we're going to do that next week. We're going to sing the Hallel when we finish the Lord's Supper. I'll let you worry about that between now and next Sunday. I've even got it in Hebrew for you. I'm going to show it to Doug. Doug. The Hallel, the Songs of Praise, Psalms, actually 113 to 118 are the Hallel Psalms, if you'd like to read them. They were sung to the Lord as a tribute to God following the Lord's Supper by those who participated in the Seder meal. Now, let me say something to you. The Holy Ordinance of the Lord's Supper is for genuine believers only. An unbeliever must not participate. And the requirement for participation is the fact, the Bible says, and you look in our, our our own Baptist Faith and Message 2000 edition as well, but the Lord says this specifically, that the requirement for you to participate and us to participate in the Lord's Supper is that we are baptized by immersion. Now, why would the Scripture make such a command simple folks there is no way an unbeliever could ever understand or comprehend the importance and the significance of this meal listen to the word of God first Corinthians chapter one verse 18 you just listen for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing But to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. To somebody who doesn't know Jesus, what we're doing is we're passing a cup of grape juice and a little piece of bread that doesn't have any taste to it. There's no meaning to it. There's no interest in it whatsoever. They can't understand. The Bible forbids the unbeliever to participate. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he to know them because they are spiritually discerned. How can you understand the Lord's Supper if there's no spiritual basis that Jesus Christ is in your life to be able to understand it? Folks, we gotta understand the origin. Of what this supper means To you and me And not only do that We remember its purpose That we are to proclaim the Lord's death Until he come And it's for those believers Who are baptized in the faith And the third and final thing I want to show you this morning Is simply this You must prepare yourself to participate In your bulletin this morning I have put a little piece on cardstock It's in every bulletin Would you take that out? The Bible says... In First Corinthians chapter eleven verses twenty seven through thirty therefore whoever eats this bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. but let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the lord's body. for this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many. Many sleep. Many have died. I want you to spend the next week preparing before we come to this table. Now, this is private, but it's intentional. It is private in the sense that I don't need this. It's not a requirement from the standpoint that you need to turn in an assignment to me. But I can promise you that if you'll walk through this little piece of paper, now this didn't come out of somebody's book. It didn't come out of a commentary or anything like that. It came straight from my heart to the piece of paper that it's on. So if anybody wants to copyright it, it's me. It's not something I've gotten from another pastor. It's not something I've gotten from somewhere else. It's written directly for us through the Word of God in this place. And here's what happened. Folks, the first thing, I'm not going to ask you to go to these scriptures. Right now, I'm going to read them to you as we close, but I want you to listen. The first thing you do is get along with God. Matthew chapter 6 says it like this, But when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you openly. And then when you get alone with God, quiet. Just be still. And be quiet. And listen. You know, there is so much noise in the world. I mean, just noise. That's all it is. Find you a spot, and it might be in the front seat of your car. I don't know where that closet's going to be for you. But get along where you can just take a break and be quiet and listen. Psalm 37, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Don't fret because of evil. Or the him who prospers in his way, because the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Just relax in the Lord. And then Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. Wow. And then the third thing I want you to do is I want you to remember the Lord's Supper. I'd like you to take out the outline that I've shared with you. There's a whole lot more I could have talked to you and shared with you. I could have taken you back to the original language and some things and helped you understand some more. But right now, I don't think that's needed just to know the history. All of you in this house, at least most of you, know the history of the Seder, of what it means. Perhaps you didn't know some of the reasons. One other thing you might be interested in, too. Most of the time, the Hebrew meals were, sit, were eat sitting up. You see, the free folks were the only ones who reclined, not the slaves. The slaves were forbidden ever to recline. In the Jewish Lord's Supper, excuse me, the Jewish Seder meal now, the people recline if they can. Why? Because it's an honor and a privilege only reserved for those who were free in that time. So God's not only permitted you at this table, He said, come and recline at my table. Don't just pull up a chair. You just come and recline. Wow, there's so much more I could have shared with you even about that. But remember the Last Supper. Remember, Jesus took that cup of redemption. And he held it up. And those men were expecting him to say about a kingly kingdom, about a kingdom he was going to set up. They did not expect hearing about his death and what he had been talking about. But Jesus says, now I'm going to become the sacrificial lamb. And realize, as you remember the Last Supper, when he stood up and held that cup up as the host, that cup of deliverance, and he told them that now it's going to be me who's going to be your deliverer. That is Jesus Christ. He changed the meaning of the Seder forever. And now the Lord's Supper is do this in remembrance of Him. Every time. We do not believe. In the Roman Catholic sacrament sacrament understanding of transubstantiation, we do not believe that that little cup of grape juice and that little wafer or that little piece of bread that we give you, or matzah bread as it's called, the unleavened bread that we give you, is not something that actually becomes the body and blood of the Lord. But we do the Lord's Supper because first, it's an ordinance. We are commanded. And second, it is a symbol of what Jesus Christ has done for us, just like baptism. His body was broken for us. His blood was shed for you and me. Remember that. Go back and read Exodus chapter 12, the first 28 verses. It will walk you through exactly what was required of the Seder. Go back and read our Scripture for this morning. And then reflect on its purpose after you remember the Lord's Supper. Reflect on the purpose to remember Jesus. To remember Jesus. And then the Bible says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. You're still in your quiet time. And then take a few minutes and prepare yourself. And here's what you do. Thank God for his presence in that room. That's what he said to Joshua. He said, Have I not commanded you, Joshua, you be strong and of good courage. Don't you ever be afraid or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In the 21st century, there's reason for fear, folks. I'll just tell you, all of us. But the Bible says, do not be afraid or dismayed or covered up or hidden, it says. For the Lord your God's going to be right there with you wherever you go. No matter what you're facing now, no matter what you faced years in the past, no matter what you're going to face in the future, we have the promise of God that he's going to be there. He's not going to allow us to go through it by ourselves as believers. The second thing when you prepare yourself on that little card, I says confess your disobedience to God. I use the word disobedience. It is sin. And the reason I use that is we need to look back in our life and especially ask God to give you discernment. Ask God to give you wisdom as you understand your disobedience. Sometimes we think of sin as something bad we've done and not being disobedient to God. But the Bible says that all sin is missing the mark. All sin is not doing what God told us to do. So go back and remember. And then there are those times, folks, that we probably should have talked to somebody about Jesus and we didn't. That's sin. We should have done those things we didn't do. We used to refer to those as the sin of what? Omission. Those sins we omitted and did, and then commissioned those sins we point blank committed and ask God to forgive you of your sin. And then you read first John one nine and let the meaning of first John one nine just absolutely blow you away. That if you confess your sin, He is faithful and just to forgive you your sin and to clean you up from inside out from all your unrighteousness. Want to be just like the moment you were saved? And go to God and confess sin, and then, folks, when I get with God, I say to Him, "Lord, this stuff I don't remember. I ain't got sense enough to remember." And I ask You to forgive me for all that wood, hay, and stubble back yonder today, last week, tomorrow, two hours ago, six hours ago, so that when You come to this table, we are fessed up on Sunday morning. And then the third thing: Have you ever prayed Scripture to God? You know, sometimes we forget about that. You know, we just kind of, we talk about our needs and our prayer and all this. You know, God wrote the Word. It's His perfect, inerrant Word. Don't you know God just loves to hear His Word, even recited back to it? That's why I printed the entire Psalm 51 on the back of this sheet for you. I'm not going to read it this morning. It's there. It's from a New King James translation. And you read that as your confession to God. This is David's, folks, when he blew it with Bathsheba. But now this can become our confession to God and say, wow, Lord, listen, to create creating me a clean heart, oh God. Get rid of all that crud that's in my life and allow me to come to your table. Wow. And folks, let me tell you something. God will forgive you. The fourth thing is you prepare. Thank God for His cleansing blood. The Bible says if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins. Be quick to forgive others. You might just need to go out of that quiet time and pick up the telephone or write a letter and forgive somebody. Because the Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive them, neither will your Father forgive you. Don't expect God's forgiveness if you're not willing to forgive. And in Mark chapter 11, verse 9, Praise God for His promised forgiveness. Wow. People ask me, and I've, you know, why would you choose Mark 11, 9? The Bible says, then those who went before and those who followed cried out. This is the triumphal entry as Jesus was walking into Jerusalem. What did Jesus cry or the people cry when he came down the street coming into Jerusalem? What was that word he cried or the people cried out to Jesus? you remember? Hosanna. Hosanna. Literally, Hosanna. Two words in the Hebrew, it means please help us now. The na on the end of that is the Hebrew word for now. Please save us now. Lord, save us immediately. And that's our should be our attitude toward the Lord as we praise God for his promised forgiveness. You've cried out to him, you've asked him to forgive you. You believe the promise in 1 John 1 now. Then just say to the Lord, "Hosanna, save us now. Thanks be the God." Because the word Hosanna later became a word of praise. To praise God for who He is. And then the final thing when you get that preparation as you come to this can happen over a period of two or three times together over the entire week or however you choose to do this under God. You may not want to do all this in one sitting. That's a lot, I know. But just keep it in your heart, in your mind. But the final thing this morning, anticipate the rapture of the church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18 Paul wrote the church at Thessalonica and he said, F- Folks, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning those who have died before you, lest you grieve like others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring those with him who have died in Jesus. For this we should say by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, will by no means precede those who, who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the angel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead is going to rise First, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, harpazo in the Greek, raptured to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. And he says, Comfort one another with these words. Folks, I'm here to comfort you. This is not home. One day, we're going home. One day, we're going to sing like Karen did in that throne room of God, and we're going to be able to praise who God is in person with a changed body, reflect, anticipate His return. You've heard me say, and I mean it, that I believe we're living on the edge of the edge of the edge when it comes to the church being raptured. Last week, I, I loved the writings of Max Lucado, and I ran across something I just want to share with you He referred to the Matthew 24 scripture in verse 6 when he said, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars and see that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. And then I remember the events of this past week alone, those in Norway and those that have taken place that have just broken the hearts of so many, so many people and their families. And then let me just read you this as we close this time of what Max Lucado said. He has a way of putting it in the English language. He has a master of that language that I envy so much. He said, nature is a pregnant creation, and it's third trimester heavy. When a tornado rips through a city in Kansas, or an earthquake flattens a region in Pakistan, there is more than barometric changes or shifts of ancient fault lines happening. The universe is passing through its final hours before delivery. Painful contractions are in the forecast. As are conflicts, wars and rumors of wars. One nation invading another. One superpower defying another. Borders will always need checkpoints, Lucado says. War correspondents will always have employment. And the population of the world will never see peace this side of heaven. The Bible says Christians will suffer the most. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 9, Then you will be handed over and be persecuted and be put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. But remember, all these challenging times are the beginnings of the birth pain. And the birth pains aren't all bad. Now, that's easy for a man to say. Birth pains signal the onset of the final push. The obstetrician assures the mom-to-be, it's going to hurt for a time, but I got good news. It's going to get better. And Jesus assures us of the very same thing. Global conflicts indicate our date on the maternity calendar of God. We're in the final hours, just a few pushes away from delivery. A few brief ticks of eternity's clock from the great crowning of creation. Lift your heads up, folks. A whole new world is coming. And all things big and small flow out of the purpose of God and serve His goodwill. And so when this old world appears to be out of control, it isn't. When whoremongers appear to be in charge, they aren't. And when ecological catastrophes dominate today, don't let them dominate you. Let's trust our Heavenly Father. And, folks, that should be our heart this morning. Let's trust our Heavenly Father. Our invitation this morning is a commitment from all of us to do this. You see, I've been guilty of not leading you to prepare. That's not your fault. It's mine as your pastor. I can promise you we will never, ever do a Lord's Supper here that you will not, as long as I'm your pastor that you won't see this copy in your bulletin the week before. I won't always preach this kind of message the week before the Lord's Supper. But I will refer and have this for people to help them as we come to the table of the Lord. And so next Sunday, come expecting an incredible time of worship. Come expecting the Lord's table. Come expecting God to do something beyond anything we could ever, ever imagine. But most of all, come prepared. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the privilege of delivering your message to your people. God's people, it always brings. Father, what an honor and what a joy it is Sunday after Sunday to preach your word to these folks. What a joy it is to be in the position you've brought me as pastor. But Father, we are nothing without your power. We can do nothing without you. So, Lord, for all of us in this house and all who will listen to this by CD, prepare our hearts. And even, Lord, for those who are shut in and unable to come, give us wisdom, even through our deacons, as we go into those homes and share the Lord's Supper with them over these next few weeks and months, that we would help them and they would use this time to prepare their hearts as well. And, Father, use our week next week. Give us wisdom. Give us the eyes of Jesus as we prepare. And may all of us leave here with a commitment to make our intentional, personal preparation as we come to the table of our Lord. And Father, forgive me for not leading these folks as I should have by teaching them to prepare more than just a few minutes before we experience the Lord's Supper. Father, may I never be guilty of that again. May we always be fruitful in sharing your word with others and remembering the Lord's Supper and your life, death, and resurrection until one day, bless God, your Father touches the son on the shoulder and says, go get your bride and we're home with you. To God be the Lord. Amen and amen.